Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome to those on the call today and to those who will be listening in the future. Our conversation today is with Paul Payton. When I first heard the title of Paul's book, I didn't know what to think. The conversation could have gone in any number of directions. But ultimately, Paul set me straight. He wrote his book, Living with a Vagina, as a way to educate and help people who are being affected by similar situations to his own. Now, he's the very best person to explain this. So please wave your hands to help me welcome Paul Payton. Hello, Paul. How are you today? <laughs> Good morning, Susan. Good morning, world. I'm actually really, really well. Thank you. And thank you for this opportunity to talk about um, well, my book, Living with a Vagina, uh, tagline, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. It's a great tagline. <laughs> Paul, can you, can you give us a little bit of background into the kind of work that you've been involved in? Uh, by all means. Indeed, I guess it, uh, it's, it starts when I was a, quite a young person. <laughs> At four years old, um, at, no, at five years old, I was actually answering the phone and talking to the parishioners of my father's parish. He was an Anglican minister. And I found that I actually was trying to work into an adult world as a very young child, because at four years old, I'd had a big interruption. And more will be, we'll talk about that as we go. But more to the point, it set me on a path to I guess, assist others and share my story in case it was useful. I found that I did this to my own detriment years ago. I would actually physically damage myself at times immediately after my operation at four years old in helping a, a, my neighbor whose toy had fallen out of the bed. He couldn't move. I got over the railing and got, my, got his toy and put it, gave it back to him. And I realized that actually I'd, my um, operation was then disturbed and I started to bleed and so forth. So harking right back to that time and coming forward throughout my life at different times, I felt that I was here to help other people uh, because I had experience that others might benefit from. I'm not a crusader. I'm sometimes an activist in the way of actually talking about a subject on purpose. But really through more recently, 20 years when I was married, my wife and I did personal development, um, psychotherapy uh, work, um, uh, oh, the what's it called, the Landmark Forum, and a number of other uh, self-development um, processes that allowed me and gave me strength. And neuro-linguistics programming, in fact, tools to talk about my life and with others. And very recently, four or five years ago, I realized and I was prompted one day to actually start putting this stuff on paper and give it some sort of form. 
um, which is the product of, or the, this book is a product of that process. And in four or five years ago, I started to write it and I'm beginning to see around the world questions, equality, you know, marriage equality, the whole business of LGBTI, which of course has been around more than five years, but it became uh, in the public's eye and of course in the public feeling of those who were of an LGBT or I, and now there's an A as well, um, classification or category, if I could use that term loosely, um, because literally it has to come out. We have to talk about this if we are as a society going to evolve to a better place. That's sort of really where I'm coming from, and that's my justification for um, coming public, if you like, yes. Well, that's, <clears throat> that's the core essence of your book. But I think there's also another dimension of your service that you've done as well, which has to do with ecological things and sustainability. Um, the planetary, you're really involved in planetary causes. Thank you, Susan, actually, for saying that. And um, I, I, I become emotional at times because it really is the core of me is to sustain life into a better place. Sustain it as in maintain, yes, what we have, not the bad. Who wants to maintain bad? So from a, a kid, I used to straighten nails to build a shed with secondhand materials alongside my dad because he was into reusing, repurposing, recycling and sustain, uh, maintaining, as he put it, maintaining our life. Mm -hmm. So it became then the term and in 2000, 1990 thereabouts, sustainability all of a sudden went viral and I caught into, the, I was caught up in that process and took to heart the matter that there are better products, there are alternative um, ways of energy, there are alternative ways of living. You know, so alternative to me equals sustainable because what we've got at the moment isn't sustainable. And even this morning, um, seeing information coming in across my email about the fact that, and this is, this is quite a big one, <clears throat> excuse me, folks, 35 years here on the south coast of New South Wales in Australia, the forests, native forests have been trashed, destroyed, industrially logged, the habitat, the water sources, and much more. Today I'm getting emails through that on the, far, on the south coast of New South Wales, they've stopped logging. The actual authority that has been logging and doing this stuff for 35 plus years has now been told to stop because they're doing it illegally and wrongly in the way of they're not complying with their restrictions. So yes, Susan, the planet to me is here for our home. It is here for being a pleasure for us. And in return, we can actually look after it. And it is like our indigenous peoples across the world, though here in Australia, our longest ever continuous civilization, 60,000 plus years, very hard to get the mind around. They have been living with the land as their mother and they are part of the land. And I have actually been caught up in that. And I'm, I've been active now for some, I don't know, some years, five more years now in the actual conservation movement 
in, a, in this area and working nationally um, and tentatively looking at international connections that I can make to build the case that we stop doing what we're doing to our forests initially and maybe other parts of our environment as well. So it really is yeah, core for me on, in that area as well. So I see you as a socially conscious artist and that, that type of work, when I just hear the title of your book seems so very different that I have to ask you what motivated you to pick that topic? Uh, basically, I identify as a mild intersex person. That is to say that at 39, when I went to talk to a doctor, a plastic surgeon, about correcting my operation at four years old that I had and referred to earlier, of modifying the end of my penis, he said, no, no. He said, you have not seen what I see come in my door. He said, you are mild. He said, don't touch it. It's more effort, more pain, more angst, more, you know, um, threat to your mind, if you like, your psychology peace of mind, at your age to try and alter the operation. Um, that went, oh, hang on, I'm better off than I thought I was, because I'd been living with this disadvantage, this um, handicap that I thought I could do something about, but obviously couldn't. So I had to walk up my path each day with this fact in my mind, no one knew, no one talked, I couldn't talk to anyone about it um, because it was so private. And I just gather that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions across the world who have, as this doctor said, far more extreme, shall we say, not worse because we are what we are, cases of people who have gender dysphoria, I think is the expression, the gender assignment operation that I went through, it wasn't major at all, as I explained, but it was certainly impactful. And I cannot imagine anyone having anything more extreme than I had and how they would live their daily life and form relationships. And so I know I have been really blessed in the relationships that I've had for some reason rather, perhaps because it's the mildness, but I didn't actually see it as a category until the LGBTI came out. I'm going, hang on, that's me. I, that's me, intersex. And from there, it was like, well, okay, I, I feel comfortable. I can talk about it. And at 73, it, people have said, my gosh, you're brave. How do you do that? And this is men of my age, because usually it's jesting, it's boys, it's toilet humor, it's crude and so on to talk about our bodies or our particular genitalia and yet in fact it is so bleeding obvious if I put it that way it's so every day that people live and we are living with and relating to our bodies and therefore to other people so that's sort of the basis why I've sort of diverged from the the mother earth or the the psychology or the because Physiology indicates our psychology and to some extent vice versa. But if I am blue-eyed blonde, then I'm going to be seen as a certain type of person. And people have expectations, society will have expectations. I will have expectations then as a result of my cultural or socialization. Hence, to talk about our bodies 
as being equal to everybody else's. We are individual, we are unique. Hard to imagine that for 9 billion people almost, and we're each of us unique. But that's sort of the area that I thought really needs to be talked about, and hence I'm feeling quite comfortable, if at times emotional about it. Yeah. Do you consider yourself an expert on the topic? Good question. Um, yes, because I have, as I say, a mild version of it. I'm flabbergasted to think that if I was born as some one in 25 million men are in America with two fully formed penises, what the heck would I do? How would I live? I would become a circus freak or I don't know. And there's people out there who are living with this and coping from a woman's point of view and why I chose the vagina as the term. I was raised in a home with three older sisters and a very strong and open liberal-minded mother. My father was often absent and I was told that I would, no, sorry, my sisters were told that I couldn't be namby-pamby. They had to treat me as a boy because I had to become a man. So I was nonetheless shared their life quite intimately growing up as a child, obviously, and big sisters looking after me and so on. And my mother um, nurturing me as best she could. And my father wasn't really there to talk about. He, he was a very busy man and um, you know, community minded and bless his heart. He did wonderful people and had a, a wonderful uh, work and had wonderful reputation. But it was sort of for my own journey. So. Basically, I saw how at different times my sisters acted differently. And then growing through my own life and in relating to women in my life, the inexplicable happened at times. And I'm going, well, oh, hang on, that's that time of the month, isn't it? And this is where boys get to know. And of course, women acknowledge that this menstruation cycle does have an effect on women's behavior. Understandably, because it's hugely, hugely influential. So. Um, this sort of then gelled in my mind. And then I saw the movie Hysteria about the, the treatment of women with hysteria, hysterical cases where women just couldn't control themselves. And it was based on, according to the medical research, their genitalia and the extreme uh, correction, the treatment for hysteria was full hysterectomy, hysterectomy, hysteria, so we go to the seat of, if you like, according to that medical level in the 1800s, that women are driven by their genitalia or their, their wombs or their uteruses or whatever, and they have no control over them, well, at times. And this is, again, varying cases. So how this was explained when there was a light bulb. And oh my gosh, I can actually take the case of women. I'm not, a, I, I'm, you know, I'm not objectifying women, but... I aligned with them through my upbringing and respect and love for the feminine. And it seemed so timely to talk about how we blokes need to, and perhaps even other women at times who are less in touch with their bodies need to actually respect and honor and uh, accept. And if you like facilitate women who are in a place of influence unknown. So one of my chapters talks about the unknown influences. We hear this in men. And when we talk about a man couldn't control himself and he has to keep it in his pants or, as, excuse the expression, but um, 
it's almost given that a man has these un, unbidden desires and drives and uncontrolled. That isn't really given to women in the same equality. It's usually coming along with a, pack, a baggage like, oh, she's a whore or, uh, you know, nymphomaniac or something. But I'm not saying it's only sexual. I'm saying it's actually emotional and physical at many levels that we sometimes don't know what to do with ourselves. And hence, I thought to speak on behalf of um, those dear to my heart and those who I share the planet with. And that's my family and my um, female counterparts. When someone reads your book, what is what transformation do you hope that they will achieve or receive? What what could we do that would be different in the way we treat one another? Well, that is a big question. And I don't know that I have any prescription. But I, I would say that becoming in, in tune with one's own body is firstly uh, a step we all can take. Personally, I had to look after myself differently and quite consciously. Um, and again, I wasn't really accommodated much, but once the stitches and bandages were off, it was so painful for weeks for me to even have a pee. And that aside, but that's down to the level where I was connected with my, my body. So if everyone were to actually um, understand, uh, I don't know, feel, express, look, study, accept one's own physiology, one's own body, then, and that's quite a big ask, I know, because we've been socialized out of it and, and religions and even, um, you know, laws and, and cultural mores say that, well, you, you put up with it or you control it or you do this or you subject it and so forth. Well, I'm, I'm for physical freedom within constraints, obviously, and, and uh, within um, respect uh, for others, yet to have a respect of one's own uh, body and being, I think, are, are really primary. And I would like to see that in the, in the, for example, in primary schools, in preschools, they're now doing meditation. That's a way of getting ourselves in touch with our body in a peaceful, calm, safe environment. That is highly recommended. I would highly recommend approaching that area, that way of, of exploring and being in touch with ourselves. Yet physical exercise is another simply to to um, walk in nature without shoes, you know, in other words, to earth oneself. That gives the energy of the earth the flow into the body, which then uplifts the spirit. But as an example of really the level that this is being now looked at, there's a huge industry developing in Japan, particularly I know of as an example, what's called forest bathing, where people go into the forest like sunbathing into the sun, but they go into the forest and they sit in the forest. They don't necessarily do anything, but while they're in the forest, they absorb the energy. They see the greenness, which is really a healing color for us physically and mentally. And it's, they've tested it now to see that wounds heal 20% quicker in the forest or as a result of people forest bathing. So that's a really sort of socially, accessible way of 
getting into our body, getting into our, ourselves and seeing how we can and uh, be, be more comfortable and more loving of ourselves, I guess. So there's a couple of areas there, but beyond that, um, even the matter of our own sexuality, if we can't be comfortable with our own body physically, sexually, then it, I don't really feel it translates that we can actually be open and, and truly um, authentic with other people. So whatever form that takes is up to the individual, though there are certain areas of my life I know that I, I care for, um, have cared for all my life and will continue to do so. So um, it's um, a part of a challenge for many people to even consider uh, our own individual inner sexuality Yet that's what, of course, what LGBT and Q and I and A and all the rest of it is about. It's an, in an effort to find a way of being accepted by others, I guess. So if we accept ourselves, then we can work with others in that way. I trust that's been some clarification of what I'm on about, Susan. Absolutely. I know that you mentioned that there are you have a number of questions that you pose to the reader uh, toward the end of the book. Um, what kind of things do you ask? Well, and thank you for asking. Um, because we're individual, because we're unique, yet because we are in a society or whatever that usually indicates a sex does this or the other sex does that or never does you know never the twain shall meet you know proverbially a man will always do x or a woman could never be expected to do y so in the book in the back of my book i do have when does a woman blank 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 please fill in the blank uh, whatever that is in other words is it um I don't know, for example, climb a tree, something you might think that a woman would not normally do. So whoever the reader is, fills the blank. And is it never, or does she do whatever it is when she feels like it, regularly or always? And another one, does a man always X, Y, Z? Yes, no, never, sometimes. So uh, when, there, when is there a time when we all will in other words, I guess I'm throwing forward to the future I would love to see. And that is where we do communicate honestly, openly with love and, and we actually share the planet with respect. So my question, will there ever be a time when we all will X, Y, Z? And again, one can answer it is never soon. We all do that now and some do it already. Well, so there's the variation. So basically I'm posing questions all through the book, assessing, or sorry, allowing, or sorry, uh, encouraging the reader to actually question themselves and their standpoint, be it from a, an upbringing, from a physical level, from a gender or from a lawful or religious, because really, um, if we don't question ourselves in our life, then as uh, some other writers said, an unchallenged, or words to the effect that an unchallenged life is an, a life unlived. I don't know if you know who said that, but it's a lot of times that for me, I've more and more in my life now been able to explore what I really feel, what is really me, and how I can be part of the whole because I am 
the human in our societies, whichever that is, a village or a city or whatever. So questioning, not just for the sake, well, yes, just for the sake of it, but not in a nasty way. Um, but if we do question anything and if we are questioning, then we are actually alive and well. Can you envision a time when people would read this book as a couple or a group and ask these questions and respond to them together? Thank you, Susan. I, I don't think I've ever thought about that before. Uh, one person who I would regard as a peer, a journalist for many years, she was reading it as I was going through and she said, my goodness me, this could be on, a, on every high school library shelf. In other words, she was seeing and, and tapping into the area of exploration as a teenager when people are going out into the world to find themselves that this sort of questioning that I raise and even just those few questions at the very end of the book um, could be really well worth asking or testing oneself on. I'm not familiar with current curricula at high school or at college levels, though it strikes me and I really, what a good idea. So, but I've got to say, Susan, you've now prompted me to think about the fact that it could actually be a purposeful thing for a couple forming a relationship or a, a group of men or group of women seeking to um, explore such subjects. Yes, it could very well be. Yeah. Yeah. How have, obviously, people have read your book and responded to you about that. Um, since you're not an academic expert on this, it's purely experiential. Uh, what, what kind of responses do you get? Um, at this stage, uh, gee, you're brave to talk about it. As I said, it's, wow, this is, this is great. Um, I can't stop reading it. Several people of my age have said that, that I've given them to, to um, you know, uh, tested, if you like, market research. Others have said, um, well, actually, to be honest, others haven't said anything. And I find this rather interesting. Several of my male friends, not necessarily my age, but a little bit younger, great. Oh, yeah, I'd love to read it. And they've gone away and, um, oh, uh, yeah, we get, we'll have to have a coffee and talk about it sometime. And uh, this has never happened. So, in other words, what I think is going on with some of these people, they've gone, oh, my goodness, I have to think about things. I can't sort of talk to Paul as I used to because I thought he was X, Y, Z. You know, so, in other words, it's a little bit perhaps confronting for some, and I accept that. So the research, or sorry, the feedback is um, a young woman at the local health food store the, uh, yesterday, the day before, um, talking and she said, oh, you can put it in our bookshop, in my, in my shop and I'll sell it for you. She's a young mum. She said, oh, this, this looks really great. She hadn't read it, but fully accepting that the bloke my age or whatever could explore such a subject and talk about it. So in essence, even from a surface unread level, it seems to be well received. That's all I can say. And I haven't sold, well, very few, to be honest, I've only sold. And that's been around the corner or in the office or my sister, one of my sisters yesterday said she's really, really embarrassed. I gave it to her for Christmas. I haven't really read that yet, Paul. Sorry about that. I've, I've had a busy life. She said, I'll really make a point of it now. You know, we're talking about it. 
So, you know, I, I don't know what she will say. She knows my life more than most, <laughs> um, yet she might find it also challenging for her. So I suspect it's not a re an easy read for everybody or all parts of it, um, yet I, I think um, basically it's fairly positively received so far, yeah. So, so are you continuing to write? That's a, um, having um, done this and stopped about, I don't know, nine months ago, I thought, oh, I better stop or else I'll be doing it for the rest of my life. Uh, there are sections which I really got frustrated and I started out being a light read. I, not academic, as you say, and I'm not trained or, yet I am inclined to research and find things and to be authentic and truthful, if you like, as far as we know. Uh, which means that, yes, there are sections that I might consider taking up as a deeper research project, albeit a deeper writing and exploring and expressing. And uh, I really just haven't come to terms with it, yet I'm sort of being nudged in that direction a bit. So perhaps my past writing has been more plays, I've written more three plays, but poetry, short stories, and not for the, well, short stories were an exercise. Poetry was more or less for people's birthday presents. You know, there was a man in Gunnedah who used to farm the land, and then he took himself to the West Coast and farmed the sea. You know, I wrote that for a guy who I was working with uh, on a fishing boat um, many, many, many years ago. So I have a bit of a stack of bits that I could actually bring to public, but new work, not sure, not sure. So where would people find your book if they're looking for it? PaulPayton.online is my web, little website I've set up. Um, there is a Living With A Vagina blogs, or dot blog as a WordPress blog site. Um, I believe it is, in fact, well, I know it's available through Ex Libris, through Amazon, and indeed, uh, Mr. Google does quite a good job of listing other uh, distributors who actually have it now available. Uh, the price varies somewhat, so I'd suggest you do look around. Um, I'm not sure I haven't been in control of the pricing of it, though um, I'm looking to be it accessible as possible, so $10, $15, I'm not sure where one would find it, $20 maybe, but um, yeah, so a number of distributors would, but uh, I'm going to put a link on my website, just built a few days ago, would you believe, to a, um, to an out, to a shop. So, um, but recommend, yes, um, Amazon, Ex Libris, et cetera, yeah. Do you have a final thought you'd like to share with us today? It's a silent thought, because if I start to talk, I, I sometimes can't. <laughs> it's deep and it's meaningful for me that we have this conversation, that I would be able to talk with people one-on-one -on -one about my experience. That's something I could do. I hadn't thought about that until I just said that. But in honesty, it is an area of life on the planet that I think needs to be done differently and that is with care, respect, and love. And it augurs well if 
anyone wants to pick up my book and even read a few pages or whatever and share it, not from my perspective, I'm not here to, to make sales. I'm here, I guess, to raise questions. So I'm a bit of a thorn in the flesh, maybe. Can we each be thorns in our own flesh and question where we come from and really what we want? Because if we can't imagine what we want, then we can't actually receive it. Truer words were never said. Everything begins with a thought and echoes in our word, words and becomes a result. So it is a powerful statement you've made. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, Paul. Let's remind our listeners that we've been talking with Paul Payton about his book, which is Living with a Vagina, which is the subtitle, I'll show you mine, you show me yours, or the other way around. <laughs> the other way around, yes. You show me yours, I'll show you mine. And thanks to our listeners for joining us as well. Remember, nothing supports the work of authors better than picking up a copy of their books. You can also support the work of this program by going to the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power podcast on anchor.fm to like us, follow us, sponsor or subscribe, and feel free to share the programs. Let people know that we're using podcasts to give authors their voice. Thanks again for being with us, Paul, and keep raising those questions that can make a difference. It can, they really can make a difference in the lives of those who read your book. So thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you very much. Bye for now, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shireko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.